All right, welcome to the Nitty Gritty. Exciting and interesting episode this week. We had Stephanie Bogan. Buckle up, buttercup. Yeah, buckle up is right. Life coach, business coach, marriage counselor, even though she doesn't claim that. But the interesting thing is she is Andrew's business coach. Yeah, so I've been working with her for three years now. And holy crap, (laughs) this lady has a brain like I've never seen before. I want her to be my coach now. And I might actually try to do that because she was amazing. She lives in, well, she's in Utah now. Yep. But for a while, like most, like you're used to talking to her over. In Costa Rica. FaceTime while she's in Costa Rica, Uh right? Yep. Holy cow. Yeah. So she has a super cool story. She's been awesome. And like when you talk about like a fire hose. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like 10 fire hoses of information. Oh man. And so. It would be really easy. This is one of those episodes where you could listen to and like every time you're like, oh, I didn't hear that before. Yeah. Oh, wait, that was really good. This is a free coaching session. You know, I didn't know if we were going to go more into like her up, like her story. Yeah. But we touched on that a little bit, but it went into coaching and there is a lot to learn here. And you're right. This will be like one of those really good general conference talks that every time you listen to it, you pick up something different because it is... She she is not stingy with information. No, she's really good. Like she is really really good. And some uh, context too, because we make a lot of reference to it. Today is Wednesday, election night. The day, day after the election was yesterday, uh, right? And so we make we're all reeling. We all so there's, the there's unknown. a lot of comments from that. So just that's where that's coming from. Probably a really good day to have a life coach <laughs> yeah. come in for the podcast. So we well, hope you enjoy it. I know it's I. I remember my first year with her, I told her, I was like, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's like, I cannot, I can't keep up with you. You might want a piece of paper. And she's like, that's that's, she's like, that's what I do. I'm like, all right, here we go, man. She's brilliant. Hope you love it. Thanks guys. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. Nitty gritty. I'm excited. This is, we get to sit on a coaching session with Andrew. That's right. Fly on the wall. Here we go. So this has been something since we started the podcast, I've been trying to figure out how to make this happen. And like in the back of my mind, because I know how awesome it's going to be because we have Stephanie Bogan with us, who has been my business coach friend for three years now. And it has been amazing. I don't think we could have a better guest today than somebody with her skills (laughs) with everything going on. Yeah. (laughs) And so like the last, whatever, two years, year and a half we've been doing this, it's like, okay, I have this conference. Maybe I'll just pack the mics with me. Like, how am I going to make this happen? do that next time. Yeah, we totally could. That would be amazing. We should just like literally like podcast episodes, line everybody up in episodes. Yes, but I'm here. The universe brought me to you. Literally hand delivered me. The only good thing of Corona has brought Stephanie to Park City. And here I am. And here we are. Why didn't we do this in Park City? I don't know. Cleaner air. Because the barbecue was here. Okay, that's And let's be clear. We'll do the next one in Park City. That's the only reason she's here is because of the barbecue. I I love you, but the barbecue (laughs) was the only reason my family let me come. (laughs) Well, good. Well, that has to go through me because I had to cook it today. That's right. So I'm a little tired. It was a big cook today. We're feeding the University of Utah football team, which... A lot of people that know me will be angry with that. Well, they, I, we are I, a BYU restaurant. Well, but, that explains a lot because yeah. I saw the I saw the like the, the operation here. Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. there's a there. lot of operation behind behind that little front yep. up there. Yeah, definitely more than normal. Because what is today? Wednesday? Yeah, 
Wednesday's usually a pretty quiet day, but not today. Not nope. here. So thank you, Utes. I can say it. Go for it. Yeah, I just did. Okay. I said it. So <laughs> thank you for coming down today. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be fun. It already is. So Stephanie, to give people, I want to hear you explain what you do because you've helped me for the last three years to learn how to say this. So now I get to finally ask you this question. Yep. What is it that you do? <laughs> She's coached me for three years on how to answer this stupid question. <laughs> I finally get to ask her. <laughs> I help founders. Uh, I help founder. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> That's awesome. Andrew won. He just gets a point for that. He gets a point for that because I'm like, oh, now wait. Now, now it's on. No, I really, uh, what I do is really quite simple. I help founders elevate their thinking so that they can sort of reframe their vision of success and create a wildly successful practice in life that they love. Wow. So you really are good at speaking. Thank you. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, once or twice. But yeah, that was pretty good. And it didn't sound rehearsed either. It's because it's not. It's not, right? It so sh- I- and it shouldn't. Like one of the things that we talk about in coaching and it, it, fundamentally, if you are authentic, you will find your audience. For sure. And if you tell your story from a place of authenticity, you will never, ever have to sell your story. Interesting. So you can use- So that's why the- we haven't picked a president yet? Quite yet, at least, because I kind of feel like it's all rehearsed. There is no. There's lots of storytelling happening. Yeah, lots right. Lots of storytelling, and it's all off of. I don't think any of them could remember anything, so it's all off of teleprompters. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't feel like, you know, what you just said, because that does that. That was authentic, and you can absolutely tell. Well, thank difference. you. I appreciate. I appreciate that. So, how do you get into doing what what you do? I mean, do you have a business background? Dumb you, luck. No, I mean, really, ser- like seriously, I have a, I have a very different kind of story. Um, I was, my mother was diagnosed uh, with a mental illness when I was nine. Uh, okay. My younger sister had just been born. I'll never forget. My father took me to the hospital, put me on a little stool as you looked over the babies. And I saw her very pink face and her very red hair. And my father's eyes teared up and he said, have you ever seen anything so beautiful? And I remember thinking, nope, nope, never ever have I seen anything like that, nor do I ever need to. What is all the fuss about? Uh, she's lovely. Uh, she's turned into a beautiful, a beautiful young woman. Um, but, you know, that was truly the last really happy memory that I can remember because shortly after that, I remember coming home, you know, I was walking down the steps with my father right as we walked in the door, I looked up to him and I said, you know, when, when is mommy coming home? And he brought me inside. He sat me down. He took my hands in his and he had a look that I hadn't seen before. And he said, sweetie, mommy's not coming home, at least not right now. And then he went in, you know, at nine years old, he explained to me about how people go to hospitals for their heads. And so for the next nine years, my life was a spinning wheel of panic attacks and prescription bottles and psychiatric hospitals and relatives and in and out. And my father was in the military until I was in third grade until like right then. So I think I counted once from the time that I was born until I graduated high school. I I don't think I'd ever gone to a school for more than two years. Wow. So, and I didn't realize that at any point until I really started doing my own work in terms of up-leveling my own success. And what I realized after, you know, so that was sort of how my story began is at nine years old, I sort of had to figure out how to take care of myself. And it just so happened all of the grownups around me, none of them were particularly well-equipped for life or the situation. Mm. So the emotional toolbox with which I grew up was empty. And so I literally moved out at 17 
on my own, went to junior college, uh, was living with my best friend at the time, went to junior college and got a secretary on how to be a legal certificate because I was going to be a lawyer. That was my thing. Um, Why did you want to be a lawyer? I was going to say, there's a lot of drive there for, I mean, bouncing around from school to school. Like, I mean, is that, is that wired in, you think? No, I think, look, this is just behaviorally, I think we all model our behavior, right, on sort of the environments. Our brains are just hardwired to create these behavioral models, sort of the scripts that we operate on. And, you know, mine was one of chaos and struggle and adversity. And I think when you experience those things, you, at some level, and I think this is that spark that we all so desperately want to understand about ourselves and certainly about other people, like what separates those people who do more and better, who follow their passion, who can, you know, retire, move to a beach or, you know, or do work that they like. What, what is it about those people that really are sort of squeezing the juice out of it in a way that we really all want to and everybody else? And so for me, that lesson was just in, I learned through the, what I like to call the science of failure. Um, it's a very effective teacher. And so I literally set I out. master's on that, actually. <laughs> master's degree, PhD in science <laughs> failure. Um, at 17, I literally went out and, you know, I, for me, it, it's a great question. As I think on it, the answer is debating was the first thing I remember feeling good at. So my family life was just, we'll shortcut the conversation. It was just not awesome. Uh, and I was on most days dealing with a crazy person. Right. And I had to learn how to avoid some very difficult circumstances, right? I would get woken up at two o'clock in the morning, the lights would be turned on and the entire house would have to be cleaned because a piece of lint was on the carpet. Whoa. So, you know, things weren't what I would call normal and healthy in my house. And so... I didn't get to go out and do the things that kids do because my mother just wasn't in a particularly good place mentally. And I had a baby sister and a fan dad that was working and that was not particularly great or stable. So you grew up way fast. So I grew up very, very fast. And yeah. so I remember, um, at, I think I was a freshman in high school. I joined the debate team. I don't even remember why I did it. I think it was because it was at school and it was something that I would be allowed to do. You didn't have to go home. I didn't have to go home, oh, and I wow. didn't. I didn't have to get permission to join the cheer team or this team or that team. Those things were just for whatever reason not cool in my house, and right. and so for whatever reason this was part of the daily schedule, and I could do it. And it turned out I was pretty good at it. And if you're good at that and you sort of fall in that circle, being a lawyer seems like a really cool thing to do. Right. You get paid to debate with people. You get paid to debate with people. And I, I mean, I had to go home and do that for free <laughs> this way. All right. There was at least some promising future in it for me. And maybe I could actually get the other side to see my, like I spent my entire, like half my childhood learning how to communicate with crazy. Right. And what I realized at one point, one of my, I was talking with one of my coaches about just why I'm so fascinated with the behavior and in particular the behavior of business. And I realized it because I was dealing with it every day of my life. Like what, what would be okay today? What wouldn't be okay today? You know, trying to, the moving to, target. to create rationale for like right. why we should be able to go do something or why, you, you know, and so you learn a lot about sort of navigating, you know, humanity at its best and its worst when you grow. I mean, I'm not the only one that's grown up with adversity, sure. but I think from that you, you get either you fall into that trap, right? Where that sort of becomes the path that you, it's the path of least resistance. And we see those examples all the time and they're super unfortunate. Or in some cases, some part of us says, no, that is not for me. Right. I think we're going to, we see crazy, we're going to take a hard right. <laughs> we see, you know, unmotivated and unambitious. I think that happened at the polls last yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> take, please it? take the hard right. Take the hard right. <laughs> they just like anywhere, just yeah. 
Anyway. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's how I ended up wanting to be a lawyer. And then when I was 17, I got the legal certificate and got a job at a, right, a classy law firm somewhere and just worked my little hiney off, did a really good – I remember sitting across from the, the the partner of the firm. I had zero experience, you know, and he was like, why should we hire you? And I was like, man, all – like, if you have children, make them – have them do debate. Because I was able – one, I had the confidence to communicate that I could get the job done. And you should always be able to deliver on the value every time. But two, I was able to articulate why I was the best person, how I was going to write bridge the gap. Like, and so I was just able to get and that. You were seventeen. I was I was eighteen at that point. Yeah. And you're talking to the partner. I'm just talking to a partner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A big law firm. Kind of like Kurt Brown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another guest we had. For you know, sure. it's funny. There are some parallels here too to Tony Robbins. You know, who's uh-huh. uh, most people know. He's like much just taller than me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do they call them? Banana hands and <laughs> yeah. Jack Black holding that. But like, and I you hear a lot of island. stories growing up with his mom being, I think, I don't know if it was mental health. It was more, I think it was addiction, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I think well, like eight dads or something. Yeah, yeah. Like just having to navigate all. So man, what a, it's just another example of light coming from dark, right? Like tough stuff just makes you better. It's, I think we all, you know, one of the things that the kind of the premise of my work is that if you elevate your thinking, you can elevate your results, right? It's really yeah. about mindset and methods, particularly in business. It's true in life, sure. which is we all develop strategies for coping, right? When I'm a child and crazy is happening in the house, you develop a strategy. Perfection is a really good strategy right. for managing crazy. Because you feel like you can control you, Well, you can control it if you behave a certain way, right. if you're, you know, a lot of us grow up, women in particular, right? If you're pleasing, right? If you're pleasing, you get the certainty, right? You get the safety and the security that you want. And so without even knowing it, we develop these habits and these behaviors because they're just coping mechanisms. Our right. brains are hardwired to figure out how to survive. Like that's their job. Right, your limbic system, right, the primitive part of your brain is one job. Don't die. (laughs) Don't die. Like, that's the job. There's just one antsy problem with that. Not dying is not the same as truly living. Sure. And most of us experience that feeling at some point in our life. And for me, I had, right, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I ended up being a business coach. I worked in an estate planning and wealth management firm and started doing marketing and operations. And out of that, started consulting with people. And at the at the ripe old age of 24, I started my consulting firm. So most people like to go out and get experience and then consult. I thought, hey, <laughs> this seems pretty fun and I'm kind of good at it. I'm going to shorten this a little bit. How about bit. we just shorten that curve and I'll just do it. And the truth is, it wasn't like there wasn't even that much thought into it. I was 24. I uh, My husband was going through school. Uh, he had just uh, quit his job, so we were putting him through cash. We had just bought our first house, and I thought it would be a really good time to start a consulting firm. So <laughs> I went to my boss, and I was like, how about one day a week I just do this thing from home because I'd bought a house an hour away. And he pretty much told me, he's like, absolutely, you're going to be a consultant. Are you going to get picked up by some organization? And I was like, no, 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 I love my job. And three weeks later, I was like, I really don't like commuting and people seem to be really willing to pay me to help them market their practices. And he was like, to his credit, super supportive. And he was like, go for it. So I literally took $5,000. At the time, it seemed perfectly logical. In hindsight, it seems ridiculous. I was putting a husband through school. We had, we were paying cash. I'd quit my job. 
I had taken $5,000, bought a paper mache. I call it the paper mache desk from Home Depot, you know, because if you leave right. the water glass on it too long, it bubbles up. <laughs> and mine did. I have a perfect imprint in my memory <laughs> of that desk and the, and the bubble and, and a computer. And I thought, well, I'm pretty employable. If this doesn't work out, I'll just go get another job. And What type of consulting were you, did you open up to do? So we started just doing business coaching. I worked uh, originally with estate planning attorneys. Uh, because that the wealth management space was the space that I worked in. So I worked with estate planning attorneys, CPAs, insurance uh, advisors, and financial advisors. And then really within the first couple of years, the financial services sort of arm really just the gravity was there. There was a lot of appetite for it. There was obviously a lot of there's a lot of money there um, and a lot of people who are trying to do good work, but who aren't necessarily great at running a business or and and and, and it's also a place where doing well can create a lot of opportunity to do good and you can build a really successful business. But that in and of itself, as you know, is a very different enterprise than being a great barbecue man or a great financial advisor. And so I just tend to, I love the business of business. It is like a chess game to me. I don't know why. It's a level playing field. We have access to the same people, the same resources. There are good people and good, and with tech, there's good people everywhere. So why is it that Tony Robbins has an island and some people are sitting on steps in, right. in the, like, why is that? And it's ultimately our thought set. And so- I built a super successful consulting firm. I sold it to a Fortune 200 company. Super fortunate. I got to sit on the executive team for four years. I learned so much about how Fortune 200 companies run that I decided I no longer needed to work for one. <laughs> Left that, traveled around for a year, went to join a company called United Capital, which is a large uh, independent financial uh, financial planning firm and had a phenomenal experience there. Got to build out the national blueprint for like the business model for all their offices. Uh, which was great, and the client experience, which is one of my favorite things. So really about the behavior of advice and how to get advisors to give it better and how to get clients to hear it and follow it better. Um, And so at the apex of that, we were doing our third round of private equity, and I had to sign off on all of the deals and acquisitions to make sure that they would integrate into the model appropriately. And at that point, looked at my two little children and realized – Maybe this was not the, maybe this was not what what I wanted to be doing for the next five to seven years of my life. Right with that third round of equity, obviously comes right the next big round of work. And having done, done an acquisition, having done an earnout, I was pretty clear on what that would entail. And so that was just one of those moments in life where you take a hard left. And uh, at the apex of my career, uh, I walked away from it all and moved to a beach in Costa Rica. Jeez, why Costa Rica? Because uh, it seemed pretty awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So now let's just make sure all of this, she very casually talked oh. about her experience. Right. She was the boss. And not only that, it was the world of old white dudes. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> wanted to talk about that. You know what I mean? No, it's rich old white dudes, rich, if you want to be really honest. Rich yeah. old white dudes. When yeah. you started working for the law firm, wh- what year was that? Oh my God. Well, I'm 47 now. So I would have been... 17, 18, so 30 years ago, so 1990. Yeah, I graduated high school in 91, so it would have been 92, 93. Which makes what you were doing even more impressive. No, and it's it's funny. There was no one, there was no women doing that. No. 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 But it's funny because, and this is one of those things when we talk about our thinking, which is, like in hindsight, I can't even believe that I did what I did. And I'll, I remember someone, I think it's the biggest compliment anyone has ever given me. And he said to me, he said, 
He said, it's, I understand now why you always accomplish what you set out to do. And I was like, oh, this should be good. Like, I would like to know why. Like, I don't feel like I always accomplish it, but hey, give it to me. <laughs> and he was like, it never occurs to you that you can't. Wow. And I realized that when I get an idea or an intention around something and I lock onto it, that's it. Not that I don't have the same fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, stress. I call it Foodus, right? The ugly brother of Judas. Um, right? Those ugly voices show up in my head, like too. Seven zero right now. <laughs> Just stop keeping track. It's I'm telling crazy. <laughs> what? What? Will you repeat that? <laughs> what do you call it? Foodus? Foodus. Fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, stress. Oh, I call it the ugly oh. brother of Judas. I can't even remember. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Now I don't even remember what I was saying. Sorry. We're having too much fun. You're talking the compliment about like it never occurs to you that that you you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you think about it, we've all had that moment where we just got an idea, an intention. I'm going to start a barbecue restaurant. I'm going to start a firm. It's it's like, it's a saying like ignorance is bliss, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. That's how all entrepreneurs are, right? As you get into ADHD helps too. Well, as you get into it, (laughs) like if you knew what you were up against, you wouldn't do it. Like how many how many guests have said, "I went to Google and I learned how to do this. I had no formal training." And they said, "If I look back now, knowing what it takes to run this business, I would not have started." Absolutely right. Now we talk about this a lot in coaching because I fundamentally believe it to be true. Methods are important, but they're about 20% of success. Whereas mindset, the science says, is about 80% of your success. There are three fundamental factors to success. Environment, right? They're good countries, bad countries, in financial services, right? Different kinds of companies, right? Big firms, little firms. They're, you know, places where there are good clients or bad clients. There's skills, you have them or you can acquire them. That's pretty much the easy one. And then there's mindset, right? There's the thinking about what you believe is possible and the quality of your thoughts. And those things, neuroscientists essentially shown, drive 80% of our success and well-being. So when I retired to the beach, I was looking for something. I was just doing all the stuff that I taught people to do, more and better and more and better, and more and better, and more and better. And I was like the princess and the damn pea, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that. Yes, you can. Because um, it can get a lot more colorful, but it won't. <laughs> um, truly, it was like I, to me, success was, this, in hindsight, of course, success was a striving for significance. I thought that making a certain amount of money was going to give me meaning. And, you know, I had a beautiful house on the hill. I'd been on the cover of Financial Planning Magazine. I'd been named an industry influential. Bloomberg had called and asked me to write a book. Like, these are great things. Right. And yet, like that, when you when you start a business and you're kind of younger in your life, you have kind of that that spark and that passion and it drives you. And the why is so much bigger than the what ifs. And to your point, that's when you you don't worry about the how, because the how will always stop you if you focus on it. But when you get clear on the what and the why behind it, you really become unstoppable and everything is figureoutable. Our job as founders and entrepreneurs or leaders is to keep our mindset in that what I call success state as much of the time as possible. And we're hardwired not to live there. Our, our limbic system, our survival system, our primitive system is designed to keep us alive. So when you have the opportunity to take that risk, to raise that fee, to invest in that new idea, if we're all really honest, the voices in our head can get really loud. Oh, man. Really loud. <laughs> really loud. That's really interesting. Never, and they're not we... your friends, by the way. Oh, no. I would just like to point out they're not your friends. That's got to be so much less work to just, I th- feel like self-doubt, like you said, that's just already in there 
You don't have to find that. And that's like we develop these strategies to cope with those underlying feelings because we're not taught to address the feelings. And sorry, guys, right? If you're a guy in general, feelings is right. It's like the F word. But (laughs) but at the end of the day, we're all emotional beings, right? Anger is a feeling. Suppressing your feelings creates feelings. And so when we just get really honest with ourselves about what experience we're having in our life or our business why we're having that, my, I, I break it down into mindset, methods, mapping, and momentum, right? I call them the four modes of mastery. And if you go through them, you can pretty much figure out just about anything. Um, and then what action we're willing to take. And that requires a level of radical candor with ourselves that if we're really honest, we don't all carry around with us at all times, Right. It's really hard. It's scary to have that with yourself, right? Because you have to be like brutally, brutally honest to the person looking yourself back in the mirror on what's going on, why stuff isn't happening. Well, right? and, and look, I'm I'm definitely, and you know this, I am not one for making excuses. But the reason that I unretired was because when I retired, I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew it wasn't, I just knew, man, I had efforted the hell out of this and I was pretty good. And if I couldn't find the joy that I was looking for, then it was just going to have to be found somewhere else. And so we were just going to have, and that took a lot, by the way, it took six months of like my entire- about that. What was that process like? Well, and you have a husband there too, right? It was crazy. And and young kids. Yeah. Like basically what you're talking about involves more people than- well, Just and you yourself, and like, the un, right, this is the underpinning of those stories and what success for for those of us who take that route. What it really means to us is not that it's not great, not that we don't love our work and that we don't bring passion and enthusiasm. But if you're not really careful and you don't understand what's really driving the drive, it can consume you. And that's what happened to me, which was I, there was always some corner to turn, some accomplishment to be achieved, something that was going to resolve. Just never that, enough. And it was never enough. The P wasn't going away. Right. And for me, I just knew somehow, like, and that's what I had to resolve within myself was I wasn't going to find it on this path. But, but that path represented every story that had ever served me and kept me safe. You can be perfect, you can be pleasing as long as you do good work, right? And I was really good at it. To your point, like when I went to debate class and I was good at it, it was the first time that I was like, wow, I feel good. There's no one harshing me. There's no one making me feel inadequate. There's no one diminishing me. I mean, I didn't know it intellectually, but it was a space that I could enter. You were enter. good at it? It was a domain of mastery. Right. And man, when we all find that place and that flow and that zone, we thrive. And what I realized was that what I thought created my success was actually shrinking it. Hmm. And that what I had to do was the thing that I was most terrified of doing, which was showing up as me. Like literally just showing up unapologetically. Hey, I went off. I know I'm supposed to be this business expert, but I went off to the beach in Costa Rica and I found out that kind of the quality of your thoughts determines the quality of your experience. So I'm going to take what I've always done that's been really results-oriented and very good, which I realized I had actually been coaching all those years, not consulting. Lo and behold, that's why we got the results that we got. I was always like, well, why are we doing it this way? (laughs) Don't we want different kind of results? Like, don't worry, we're going to need to change something, right? People would say something and I'd be like, a client would pay me so much money to explain to me why they were doing what they were doing and it was okay. And me just being very simple. I grew up in a trailer park, so I didn't go to Bain or McKinsey or Harvard. I just talk what comes out. And I was like, someone would literally tell me why what they were doing was okay. And I'd be like, 
so how's that working for you? <laughs> and then they would be quiet and then they would listen. And I'd be like, okay, we're just going to have honest conversations with people about what they want, what they're getting and what lives in that gap. And for business owners, founders, like you deal with that every moment of every day, running a business, leading an organization, whether it's a nonprofit or a country is a wild swing from exasperation to euphoria and back again. And no one gives you any damn drama. mean, <laughs> like you get on and whoa, you go and you love it and you hate it. And some days you're like, what the was I thinking? And then two days later, you're like, this is the best thing ever. And sounds if, like gambling. If you can't like that, <laughs> that's the game. Like owning your mind right. is the secret to your greater success. It is not about not that your barbecue isn't amazing. Like you've got a rule number one for me, deliver massive value. Rule number two, run an excellent business. Rule number three, enjoy the hell out of the ride. Otherwise, why? Like, what do you, isn't that the point? So like, why do we settle came the big question for me. And that led me to, right, I literally start Googling the science of success and happiness. Like, I'm that retarded girl. Like, oh, I'm just going to Google the obvious stuff, right? <laughs> Started reading articles. I'm, like, way too honest, right? Started reading articles. No, it's great. I then, missed that about society. <laughs> and I would, like, then I started reading I really these do. crazy, like, psychiatric papers and medical journals and neuroscience stuff is crazy boring. Like, you have to really. P and then I was like, oh, my God. I'm doing this to myself. Like that was the mind blowing part. When I read that the secret to success was 80% mindset and that mindset was really nothing more than the stories, right? The thoughts and perceptions you have about the world that you're experiencing and that you can control those stories. I was like, oh, I can fix this. This is great. Let's go do this. One of my favorite quotes, you said, the events only have the meaning you give them. Right. Yeah. Their events have no meaning except the meaning that you give them. The biggest discovery in behavioral science in a hundred years is that events don't create anxiety. They don't create stress. They don't create fear. They don't create the, the, the voices on our head do. We give events meaning, right? Whether the meaning is good or bad is based on our internal stories. And what a fantastic freaking point to talk about as we're sitting here waiting for election results, right? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, yes. <laughs> because, I mean, we've joked about some of the stories, like people on both sides are telling themselves right. what the outcome of this election means to them. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like what is going on in your mind yep. that you genuinely believe that is what's going to happen? That's interesting. I remember, like I woke up this morning, you know, 5.15 to come and cook and, Watching the news last night, which is literally the only day of the year that I will turn on a news channel because they're just ridiculous. But I woke up this morning just thinking like, oh, man, today's going to be nuts. And then I walk outside and it was just quiet and dark. And I'm like, wait, guess what? It was the exact same as two days Nothing's ago. Nothing's going to change. Like it, we're all this like it's, it is incredible how powerful our minds are. And with the information that's being thrown our way, like it is hard to filter it out and realize like this is no different than the last 200 years. Like there's a whole lot of things between us and the president of the United States that matter a lot more to our daily lives. It's, it's okay. Like chill out. <laughs> and, but it is, it's crazy how just two hours of watching, you know, election coverage just makes you think 
Shit's about to go down. <laughs> well, one, they get they get paid to do that, right? For I mean, sure. Th- there's no money in boring. The attention Sexy, com- economy. The attention economy. But the other thing is, and this is, I think, this is one of the, there's a lot of study and research around it, and I do fundamentally believe that it's true, at least experientially, is that internet and TV and the technology has, and I think you see this in the economy as well, sort of created this polarization, for sure. And if you look at the polarization, it really is just a function of human behavior, which is what it all boils down to. Because it's really easy for any of us to look at the other side, the other party, the other perspective. And man, judgment is a very reliable strategy. Trust me, there are days where I look at the TV and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, okay, check it, girl. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, if something bothers you, it's not going to be comfortable, barbecue guy. But here's right. the thing. If something bothers you, it's because it has a place to land. For sure. Which means, right, like whatever's going on, to your point, it bothers us because the story in our heads about it, right? There's In psychology, they call it IRRs or internal representations of realities. I call them stories. Way easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. If you grew up, easier. right, like for me, one of my stories was that success Life had struggle, right? I, my parents' marriage had credible struggle. Financials were incredible struggle. Just any any semblance of security and safety came with struggle. So lo and behold, you know, in my early years, did my success come easy? No, I had to work really, really hard for it. I had to effort for it. And so if we tell ourselves the story, right, you have to work hard and long to be successful, or if we tell ourselves the story, if this person wins, or if that candidate, like those are just stories because we need stories. There are survival systems. Like that's what our our brains absorb, 11 million bits of information a second. It can consciously process about 40 bips, which means that the other 10 million or so goes somewhere. And there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system. And its job is in like one fifth of a second to filter all of that. And based on your stories, tell you how you feel about it. And then when you think about technology and you like right you, you look at camps and politics or anything else when you look at Facebook it's serving you the ads that are based on your preferences and likes. Right. When you get the news it's based on your preferences and likes. So the way that the news cycle is actually working is it's it's feeding us news that feeds our stories. Sure. Which by definition eliminates objectivity because you're not getting sort of that central space of news you have you know irrespective of your party or your political affiliation i'm watching a i watch a variety of news channels just to try and keep like i don't watch a lot of tv but right now i'm obviously paying attention but i just watch the channels i literally told my husband the other day i'm like i'm not sure this really qualifies as news anymore oh yeah reputable channel right number i'm like this is this i'm like i'm not necessarily saying i even disagree with the opinion but as an objective audience member what happened to my news? Like, where is my objective, unbiased, unopinionated news? I'm like searching. So I just don't watch TV. I just, right. if I want my news, I, you know, I know what I believe to be re- reliable sources right. and I get what I need quickly and I move on. Um, and I think to your point, we can get caught up in all this stuff and we really can because it, it might f- feed some story that we have. I'm a victim of something. This person's going to save me from being a victim. You know, that's the stuff that we've, I think we got to watch. Well, and our brains, you've talked a lot about it and I've learned a lot from you about this kind of stuff, but we are being bombarded internally with negativity as well. So not only are we watching it, we're hearing it, but then what's going on in our brain, it is, 
I mean, what are the numbers? We are, we talk about it a lot and I always have to write them down because I can't remember them, yep. but we she's have, got it. We have on average about 60,000 thoughts a day. My husband will tell you, I have many more. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that seems low. That <laughs> seems, I know. I, there's a lot going on in here. Um, I have like five conversations going on in my head at any time. We have 60,000 thoughts a day. Uh, the science shows about 80% of them are negative. And of those 80%- I thought it would be higher. 95% of those run on a constant really play loop. So if I were yeah. to literally take the loop in your head- record it and play it we'd all be if, if we're if we're all being radically honest right we'd all be like oh my gosh that's really harsh like right. we would never talk to our friends or our family the way that we talk to ourselves we would never tolerate it here's the thing that blew my mind when i was reading this one day those voices in your head you're having a conversation with them right like hey your barbecue this or your advice that or your you know or you don't deserve the fee or you know so and so what who is that you're having a conversation with was my question. Holy hell. Who am I talking to? Okay, I've got an right in that, that right and what you're really doing that's like the bridge to your subconscious. Like sure. that's how your stories show up. If you grew up in a world, one of my clients was super successful, had a seven-figure practice and had just grown and then hit a plateau. Just hit a plateau. Couldn't figure it out. Wasn't satisfied. You know, he's like, I come in every day, I pull the lever, I make more money. Just, right. You know, I know high quality problem to have, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're having this conversation about what's, you know, what's his next level of success and what it means. And it turns out that he grew up in an environment where money was discussed in a way that it was not, it was frowned upon, right? People with money, men that made right. money weren't there for their families. They weren't at the Boy Scout meetings. And the implication was strongly, right? The comments about the cars and, well, they must have worked on, over the weekend. So, you know, they couldn't be there. So the strong implication and thus the stories that this person formed was, right, that a certain amount of money and a certain amount of success meant that you didn't care about your family. And so literally just your subconscious stories run the show 95% of the time. Right. So you think that you're making conscious decisions that support your success, and yet you've discounted a fee. You have not, uh, you know, not held a vendor to a standard. You've tolerated a right an employee issue for far too long. You've, you know, tried too much marketing, and you're not focused and clear in your message, even though you know better, right? Like all of these things that we tolerate. Like if you're listening and you're a business owner in particular, or you're an executive or a leader, you have control over some domain. All of that frustration, and this is not going to be comfortable, falls at our feet because we ultimately show up every day, create the right, look at the, make the assessment, create the perception, have the thoughts, make the decision and take the actions that create the results. We're the common denominator. And so when I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, this is disturbing, but this is a good thing because if this is how it works, then I can learn how to do better. So were you going through this while you still were working or oh, yeah. was this happening when you were in Costa Rica? Like, did well, you get to that point in Costa Rica? Well, I think when I, when we moved to Costa Rica, I had a lot of free time on my hands. Uh, and so aside from running, I thought it'd be really cool to run the PTA. So that was my first project. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah. And it was, it was the super like, cause remember I'd really been consumed with work for all these years. So being, to me, that was just the best time to be at my kids' school all the time and be in their classroom and running PTA. I've been listening about three years, by the way, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I still totally love being involved, but but nonprofit volunteers, when you're trying... <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> it was, that was a very interesting experience. No, we had a, we had a ton of fun. Um, when I went to Costa Rica, I really was sitting around reading about this and reading papers, and and that's how I happened on all of that. And that was the moment where I just thought, okay, if this is how my brain works, if my brain is the key to success, right, happiness, well-being, whatever it is I'm looking for, and, and I understand how my brain works, then I am once again, because remember, I'm a perfectionist and a control freak by upbringing, then what do PTA. I have the opportunity to do, right? <laughs> oh, wait, now I can pull all the levers and put myself back in control, which was a really interesting experience because as a coach you're not only having the conversation with the voices in your head, you're having a conversation with the coach in your head all the time where you're like, oh, what are you doing right now? Oh, you're doing that thing. You're doing that thing where you spin your wheels and you don't, and you're like, okay, got to stop that. So you've got the voices in your head on one side. <laughs> you've got the coach of you in the other. You've got your actual coach back here. Yeah, it's, it can get crowded in there sometimes. It's amazing how the same person, the same brain can be either amazing or the opposite, right? Like it, it, it is just kind of a flip of a switch. Like you have all the tools you need to be successful already there. It's just how do you stop listening to that side? I, and that's, maybe I'm not talking about the right way, but it's, it's really interesting because we talk to a lot of people that, at least I do, it's like, I can't believe, like you started a restaurant, like weren't you scared? And it's the one thing that, no, I guess I, I never even really doubted it, but that is the main difference. It's it's really just being able to say, because anybody can be an entrepreneur, yeah. but most people can't overcome that small hurdle of self-doubt, self-doubt, risk, like, how do I take care of my family? Like you said, just it all. So it is crazy, that fine line between whatever you want and desire and just staying, being stuck. And what's crazy is the only thing that separates that is your brain. Right. It's what you think about it. It's the not talents. It's not skills. It's not opportunity. Right. It is the thoughts in your head. Yeah. Right. And and that's the, that's the this is like this is the sick trick, right? Your brain is trying to help you, right? That survival system is necessary. Sure. If I'm about to step out into a street or someone approaches me with a baseball bat, thank you very much. I would like you to work. The problem is modern day life is not the same as caveman life, right? So right. the response that I have to traffic, or this is one of my favorites, your largest client or your largest supplier calls, leaves a message, and you don't know why. What's always the first response? Something's wrong. wrong. Something's wrong, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> why? Yeah, whenever <laughs> Annie calls, it's always bad. Right? Because <laughs> you're- bad. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because your survival system is always on high alert for any threat, risk, anything that could possibly right, derail you. Right, you no harm. news is good news. <laughs> Quote. And when right? it doesn't know uncertainty, which is why you see so much, irrespective of your political position, it's why you see so much sort of emotion right now is because our brains don't like if you see, remember that uh, commercial back from them dating myself where they did the eggs in the pan like this is your brain on drugs. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. uh, this is people's brain on uncertainty. Right. Our brains <laughs> hate uncertainty because uncertainty equals risk and our brains are hardwired to avoid risk and so people are desperately clinging to whatever they think will give them the certainty that they want and and that's why so often i mean something you've taught us and now we get to help you know all the people in the coaching program but when there's an issue it's like play out worst case scenario for me right because we have this story in our head but as soon as you start actually 
out loud telling someone like what worst case scenario is by the end of talking they're usually like oh yeah it's not that bad <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but like before you go through that practice you have this story built up in your brain and you can't necessarily pinpoint it but like there are so many things that are wrong and scary and but when you go through the practice of actually laying out like what is the worst case scenario right like what is that okay and they're like oh well, and what you're yeah. do what you're doing there, and and you mentioned this, and this is the powerful thing, and and this is why I'm retired because I was like, oh, this is a game changer. I have to tell people about this. Like that that mindset really is the bridge to to bridge that gap between what you what you have and what you want. And I think to your point, when you realize that it is the quality of your thoughts, most of us in some way, shape, or form get paid to think. And when you get paid to think, the quality of your thoughts matters immensely. Mm right? Immensely. And we spend a lot of time honing our barbecue sauce or honing our financial expertise or our coaching expertise or our HR expertise or whatever it may be. How much time do we spend honing our mind? How much time do we even spend owning it? Like how many times have we driven down the road, ended up in our driveway and said, how did I get here? <laughs> like, you know, you were autopilot. moving, but you were having a conversation with those voices in your head. That's your autopilot. And For me, we, it's in the shower every morning. It's like, hold on. Have I done? Have I washed my hair? Did I wash my face? Like, where am I at in the process right now? <laughs> and so when you recognize that that's happening all of the time, like awareness is the secret sauce. Like, oh, those voices in my head aren't usually my friend. I can acknowledge them. I can observe and listen to them. It puts you in the position to do the thing that I think is the fundamental secret sauce of coaching, which is what I call reframing, which is when you can teach your brain to think about the same thing in a way that is more empowering and better serves you, you will get a better result every single time. And that's for, possible. For example, largest client calls you and Andrew is convinced, oh my God, something's happened. He's upset. He's going to fire me. Reframe. Andrew, why did that client hire you? Because he trusts you and values your experience and all that stuff. So that client is doing the very thing that he hired you to do that You'd you committed to, to be there for. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. your initial response is, holy shit, something bad's going to happen. I'm about to get canned. <laughs> right? Could it, could it be possible that the client is in fact calling you because you are his trusted advisor? That seems like such a monumental a ask. <laughs> like such a hard mountain to climb to, well, to flip that switch it's and, a massive mountain to climb right <laughs> a part of it is when you reframe it because what happens is in behind i call it behind the curtain right the voices that subconscious processing doesn't usually serve you it serves you up safety okay. when you can get it out in a conversation then your prefrontal cortex the rational logical thinking part of your brain the part that usually aligns the tongue in your mouth with the tongue in your shoes so that you can get what you actually want that that needs to be that that voice needs to be a, a, have a seat at the table, not just us in the silence. So anytime you're making a life decision or you're in a situation where you're like, why does this keep happening? I'm really trying to break out my business to the next level. Or I'm really trying to deal with this relationship issue, and I just can't get through it. Is because Einstein said no problem can be solved with the same consciousness that created it. Like we're showing up every day with the same frame. That's Einstein. He gets credit for that one. <laughs> you remembered it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. If your frame is, I'm a trusted advisor, and I, of course, I'm going to be here when my clients call me. Um, I can't wait to answer the phone because that's this is go time, people. This is what I train for. And you, when you can get it out, hey Andrew, 
is it really true that your client's probably calling you because there's a problem or is it much more like that he's calling you because you as his trusted advisor are the person that he thinks to call so that you can add that value? And Andrew's going to say, yeah. And when you get yourself to a frame where one, the voices in your head aren't hiding behind the curtain, they're just out there and your conscious brain goes, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Of course he's calling me. And by the way, even if he is really upset about something, that's okay too, because part of being a trusted advisor is being willing to have the tough conversations with my client. That's actually what I think defines a trusted advisor, is being able to communicate what a client needs to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear, in a way that they still have the trust equity in you to right, to ultimately believe that you have their best intent, even if they disagree with you. That was awesome marriage advice right there. Right. Having those conversations, like the ability to understand intent and not jump to conclusion, but to have that conversation. Yeah. I'm good at that. (laughs) I'm really good at it. Well, think about all of the stories that we tell ourselves in relationships. Right. Right. My husband doesn't put his clothes in the hamper. There's a story there. What does that mean to someone? It means... Your what, husband's an asshole. He's a jerk. He doesn't love me. He doesn't like whatever. <laughs> and what it usually means is he just doesn't care as much about the clothes being in the hamper. Right. But most. But mo- there's a story behind that. There's always that, a story. And that's the important thing is to try to understand. And that's where that open line of communication has to happen to be able to learn what that story is. Yep. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you never learn what the story is, you continue to do it. They continue to get mad. And you're just in this never ending loop. Well, and we have this tendency when we're uncomfortable and we're not getting what we want, we have this tendency to tell ourselves this very popular thing. The voices in our head really like this one. And it is, if you would just fill in the blank, then I would feel better and everything would be okay. (laughs) And man, that's a really great strategy, right? If you would just do what I want you to do, except that we all have that story. And so it, it just can't possibly be is we're constantly putting our expectations on other people. We're putting our assumptions. We're putting our stories on them. And we're not really creating a non-judgmental space to have the conversation about what's really behind it, which is the story. So while I am by no means perfect, as my husband will be happy to tell you, (laughs) on a really good day, instead of going at him about something, like, hey, why did you, you know, da-da, I will have that moment of presence to say to myself, hey, husband, this happened and the story that I'm telling myself about it is that, you know, that you you really don't care that X, Y, or Z. And w- what that does, and you can do the same thing in client conversations, right? Which is when a client is unhappy about something, you're, like your first job is to create a space of non-judgment. Right. And the truth is, if we're really honest, we don't go into 95% of our actions from a place of non-judgment. We go in with an opinion that we want to convince the other party of and by the time the fifth word is out of their mouth, the voices in our head are calculating the defense and framing the story that like we've already answered the question. We're just waiting for them to be quiet long enough for them to, for us to prove that we're right. right. That like, if we're being honest, that's what a lot of our interactions is. There's only one problem with that. It doesn't serve the relationship. Avoiding the conversation with your team member doesn't serve the business, the client, the outcome or the relationship, right? Getting upset with your spouse about something instead of creating a space where you can talk about it does not serve the relationship, but our stories keep us shrunk and they keep us small. If I do this, right? And the truth is because our strategies don't usually get us what they want, what we want, right? As business owners, why do we come in and do the same thing every day if it's not getting us the result that we want? Like it logically makes no sense whatsoever, and yet we do it. Very 
interesting. What about the flip side of the coin? What about being content with not doing more? When did we talk about doing more? Well, or right there, there's the story. Maybe, maybe like, cause that it's funny. That's my problem. So many people don't, they want like, why don't you open more restaurants? Like you could do this, you could do that. And it is, I have to have the conversation in my head. Like I'm really close to where I want to be. Like I want balance. Like I want to be able to go to kids games and I don't want to work anymore, like any harder. So, but it is really hard to get over that. Well, there's a, well, being okay with that. So that right there, that question was why Aventus was created. I finally was able to answer that question through her. Right. Right. And I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe so there's, if we, if we want to have some fun with that, there's, there's potentially a couple of stories there. Right. One is that, that more is the expectation. Like there is a, there is a societal story. So we frame our stories, right? If you want like the basic behavioral lesson, like between around zero to seven, our brains create these stories. They're like the shortcuts for processing all that information. Like in this world, here's how we're going to survive. We get that from our family and we get that from society. Our society without question sets forth the idea that more is better. I believe that more isn't better. I believe that better is better. And for some people at some point that is more. And for some people it's not. So there's just this general expectation that all of us have that we're supposed to keep going. We're striving for some said thing. And most of the time, and this is true of a lot of founders, we don't exactly know why. Yes, we have this idea or this passion, but like why we have that drive and why we can't stop on Friday night and set it down and be totally present with our kids, which you can, by the way, but you have to learn how to silence the voices in your head. That's what it's all about is owning your mind. And to me, that that's one story. The other story is, and this is, I think, this is the big fake. And this is the reason I unretired was to teach founders that you really can build a wildly successful business and a life that you love. You just have to reframe the way that you think about like there's yeah. a story in your mind somewhere that more businesses equals more work, more complexity. Mine's untapped potential. That's all I heard my whole life. Right? So it's just like, what am I not doing? Um, so I, this is good. so I, mean? I have a son, right? He's what we're he's high energy, high intelligence. It, I would not say that the box O school is maybe the right structure to leverage all of that. <laughs> right. Um, so you know, it's, so but here's the thing: like when you think about that, what does it mean to you? Like I'm a coach, right? So it's, neg- I, it's negative. Here's the thing: I'm a coach. I do this for a living. No, yeah. I just want to have one of those confessions of a coach stories. Here we go. <laughs> so I do this for a living, right? And again, right. like I'm not like a pa- I'm not a parent therapist. I'm not a marriage therapist. I only I only coach in places I feel like I have domain of mastery and expertise, right? I'm a business coach. So, but it all applies, right? It's all personal work at the end of the day. If you run a business or you're a leader and you want to up level, like it, the strategy is out there, right? But it, but that next vision of success always starts inside in terms of what you think is possible. Right. So I'm trying to teach my kid this, right? So he's very bright, but you know, the system is maybe not his thing. So I'm always telling him about all this potential, just like I'm sure, right? Best of intentions. Right. He comes home one day, he's not in a great mood. This is maybe a year and a half or so ago. We're in Costa Rica and he's got, I don't know if it was a D or an F. And he's like really bright. So, you know, okay, he's really upset. And I'm like, can you, do you want to talk to me about why you're so upset? 
I genuinely believe he's going to tell me he's not going to get to have his sleepover or get his iPad that weekend and his, <laughs> you know, his life is ruined. That's what I'm expecting, right? right? And he literally, he's 12 years old, he stops crocodile tears well up in his eyes and he says, you're going to be disappointed in me. And I was like, ah. I'm like the worst parent ever. <laughs> and then I set the voices in my head down and I thought, oh my God, maybe I don't completely suck at this because I created a space in which a 12 year old boy could, upon my simply asking him, what has you so upset about this, could somehow simply say to me with emotion, Honestly, I feel like you're going to be disappointed in me. Yeah, not being scared to tell you that. It's a big deal. And I was like, okay, whatever else you don't get right in this moment, <laughs> please note that somehow that seeped through all of the imperfection, right? I, I, I cannot claim to be a perfect parent. The model of parenting that I got was truly tragic. It'd it, be so hard for a lot of parents to come to that conclusion that fast. I was going to say, right. that right there that's is- That's the a, difference. That's it'd a be huge like, such moment. an asshole that my, my kid is- Scared that I'm going to let him down, or you know that I'm that he's letting me down. And we blah, go blah, down blah. this judgment and the shame cycle of I'm a bad parent. I did this oh. wrong. I did that wrong. I did you know, and it's right. really easy because yeah, have you done crap wrong? Yeah, yes, sure you have. You know, so it's really easy to start highlighting all of that stuff. Sure. And so that's the thing I like that we talk a lot about with coaching is it's not that you're ever going to get rid of those thoughts or those feelings because we are human, and so the goal of that is never to eliminate them. It's to learn to recognize them quickly and then set them down. You really, you can, you can significantly shrink them here. This is my personal theory. I believe that they get, they can get really, really quiet. You will face very little resistance when you are sitting in the status quo. When you hit the up level, when you think about, you know, do I want to go bigger? What's the next level for the practice? You know, wh whatever that, when you go to that next level, when you go to up level, you will hit your head on the ceiling of whatever is next for you. That's what I call resistance. And I think it's feedback. And I think feedback is your friend because it, it essentially says to you, this is the work that you need to do to get your environment, your skill, or your mindset to the level it needs to be to get the kind of result that you want. Because at the end of the day, when I look at other people and their success, I have learned not to judge them because I know one thing is true. They have what they have because they did what they did. Well, yeah. And every one of us has the potential. That's the chessboard. Every one of us has the potential at this moment. It's America. Might be a challenging time in America, but it is still America where you can at any moment go out, take your idea, and apply some effort in a way that can make your life radically unrecognizable. And that that was truly, I think, to Andrew's point, like when you start a business, you you almost always do it for a why. You right, you love the idea of creating a joint where people can come and right, really have that special place. You right. love the idea of giving people the financial confidence and comfort and peace of mind that comes from knowing they have a trusted advisor, right, managing their wealth so they can do the work and right, live the life they want and. At the end of the day, that's all we all want. We all want to get up. We want to right have happy careers or happy businesses. And I call it the five freedoms of limitless advisors. Or right, if you're a founder, you can call it five freedoms of, of founders, which is one, do work with purpose on your terms. 
My terms are 25 hours a week from a beach in Costa Rica right now, Park City, <laughs> right? It's winter. Um, but my terms are, right, my business has to work from anywhere in the world because I just don't like the idea of having to right, go to one place every day for, t like, that's just not my gig. Those are my terms. Andrew's terms are different, right? I've got clients and their terms where I want to make $300,000 a year working 30 hours a week and taking Fridays off with, and laughing with my kids. Great. I've got clients whose, you know, terms are $10 million businesses and, you know, great. What are your terms? But I ultimately believe that, to your point, we all had these stories, and those stories represent exactly where we are. We are all experiencing the level of possibility our brain has decided is ours based on every ounce of history, environment, background, right? Every story we ever heard, like, this is it for our brain. And so in order to up-level our experience, we have to up-level our thinking. To your point, we have to reframe. Right. The story around the relationship, the story around, you know, you can actually double the size of this business in half the time. Now, there's methods and strategies to that, but your brain won't even allow you to see them until it is in, in that's what I call that success state. Like we, we talked about that example of like how you reframe something. One of my clients who's a prominent thought leader had called me and one of his key employees, like probably his key employee had given notice. Now, this is not cool for any of us, but for this person who is particular brain power, like replacing that skill set was going to be some work. Right. So there was a long conversation about, right, the intellectual analytical side of all of that. And then I simply asked him the question. I said, okay. I said, can I, can I ask a question? He said, yeah. I said, what would it take? I said, this, you're going to just, you're going to, this is going to feel really uncomfortable, but I just want you to think through this one before you answer. And he said, okay. And I said, what would it take to make this the best thing that ever happened to the business? And this person who's really, really intelligent, has a lot to say, was uncharacteristically quiet for a while. <laughs> Truly. Wow. Because I had simply, one of my favorite sayings is, if you ask better questions, you will get better answers. If you're saying to your brain, how am I going to get X, Y, or Z done? Your brain's like, oh my God, I don't know. How are we going to get X, Y, or Z? And you, do you hear the story there? The story is, this is hard, this is bad, this is difficult. If you say to your brain, what will it take to, your brain is a curiosity problem-solving machine. Those subconscious thoughts, are they're always there, but they're primed the way that you prime them. And if you're constantly saying to yourself, things are always working out for me. Andrew was like, I always say that. Things are always working. My daughter now is nine years old, and you know what she says? It makes me so happy. If you walk around our life, you will actually hear her say, well, of course that happened. Things are always working out for us. I'm like, yes, girl, you got it, right? Like it's rubbing off. So optimistic. And and so look, that but the that view of life is the greatest gift I can give her. And here's the thing, it doesn't mean she's not going to be smacked down. My husband thinks that I am just uncharacteristically optimistic. Here's my attitude. It's very simple. I can I would rather choose to believe the best and be wrong than believe the worst and be right. In either case, I'm going to end up in the same spot, but I'm going to feel a hell of a lot better my way than yours. That's just my choice. Right. It's funny. It doesn't feel like a choice sometimes. Right. And that's what, but it is. And it's just, you just have to convince yourself of that. I heard somebody say once it, it it's so much more work to be happy. Like you don't have to do anything to be sad and negative. Like, like you said, it's just kind of, that's just what's naturally there. But if you want to be happy, you got to be intentional about it. Well, I think that's the, I think that's the challenge. Like that for me was the frustration. I think we all feel like, right. You get overwhelmed, especially when you run businesses, Right. but it's a, it's a function of state. So I talked about the forums, right. Mindset we've talked about, right. If you want to elevate your experience, you just, you have to start by owning your mind. 
think up, as I like to say. The second is mapping. One of my, what Andrew will tell you this, likes to say this probably, I don't know how many times a week. Um, when your vision is clear, your decisions are easy. Not necessarily comfortable, not necessarily convenient, but they're easy, right? I had an employee once, she was amazing. I loved her, clients loved her. Turns out no one on the team loved her. Not a team player. Every time yeah, I went off on a trip. That's a tough one. Yep. So I came back and like a couple of times so we had the talk like, hey, this like one of our core values in this company is teamwork. Literally teamwork makes the dream work. Says it right there. <laughs> kind of a big deal around here. Right. So I'm going to really need you to right, get with the program. Not a problem. A couple more trips, a couple more conversations. I come back, it's happened, like, here we are again. So I have that, you know, the pit in your stomach where you're like, oh, you're going to make me do it, aren't you? Do I really have, right, all the voices? And I was like, no, of course I have to do it. Like, it's not even, it wasn't even a question. Like, the knowing, not the pulling the trigger took a couple of minutes, but the knowing was instantaneous. If teamwork is a core value, someone is not a team player, they consistently show up as not a team player, you've given them every opportunity to be a team player, and they choose not to, they're just not on the right team, right? They are a solo contributor. They need to be in that kind of role. And right, she was given the invitation to find that path. If I, now my stock, it was not the intent, but what I realized afterwards, and that was a very, I was in my 20s at the time, it was a super valuable lesson. My stock with the rest of the team went through the roof because I had put my money where my mouth was, right? I had done the uncomfortable thing because it aligned with my values. The tongue in my mouth and the tongue in my shoes had walked in the same direction. And when that happens, the magic happens. The problem is we do a lot of, I want to create this kind of experience. I want to create this kind of business. I want to create these kind of clients. I want to create this kind of life. I want to take this many days off. But the decisions and the choices that we make on a daily basis simply don't support those outcomes. And it's because we suffer from this crisis of confidence, that fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, the I'm an imposter, I can't this, I can't charge that fee, it, right? If I take that idea to the boardroom, if I start that business, and those voices in our head get so loud that they create a background noise that it puts us in that survival state. And if you look at America, the research says that we spend 70% of our time or more in a stress state on a daily basis. Stress is the number one disease in the world. Like doctors actually have acknowledged that because it is, right, the origin of all, right, sort of chronic diseases. And yet we know this. We are, right, the richest, most technologically advanced country, wealthiest country in the world, and yet we have the highest incidences of all the bad things. I don't have to name them all. Why is that? It makes no sense whatsoever. That's true. Why is that? (laughs) I mean, really, I know so many people that like if their calendars aren't full, they don't feel like they're, they're just busy workers. We are all chasing stories. We are human doings, not human beings. Like I got really good at doing more and more. Man, I was an efficiency expert. I was a bit like I could build this high. I could build you a hyper efficient business. I could build you an amazing like we could just all the way down hone that craft. But but the problem with more and better is there's always a more and better. Like if, if the goal There's always something else, if the goal is the striving in and of itself, then the struggle uh, that comes with the striving will always be there. And so we have to change, like ultimately the gap between what we know and what we do, we have to bridge that behavior gap. And, and that's change. And change is our brains are hardwired against it, which means that the only way to overcome it is to create a higher level of consciousness, not necessarily in a spiritual woo-woo sense, just in a, Hey, you know what? Look, I'm all about the ROI like that. I mean, I love the vision and all that, but I'm all about the ROI. And here's what I know. 
there's no ROI in negative thinking. There's just not. So every sure. time I have a thought, I'm like, oh, here I go again. There's no ROI in this. There's a lot of ROI in figuring out what there's ROI in. Like, hey, what is the problem I'm really trying to solve here? That's return on investment, just in case. Good job. Right? Just in case. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So we tell, like, that's the issues. We're all chasing these stories at some level, right? If more, right? If you get the house, if you get the car, if the business hits seven figures or 10 figures or X number, if you have, right? If you have 10 barbecue restaurants, you'll be happier than if you have one barbecue restaurant. And it's just not true. Like, my job as a coach is never to define someone's vision of success or happiness or wealth or well-being. My job is to help them strip down the stories, so that they have greater clarity about what their whys are personally, professionally, right? And physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, right? Com communally, like whatever's important to people is how do we create a, a path of greater ease, less effort and greater enjoyment. And it's what I call taking inspired action, which is very different than efforted action. And we've all done efforted action. We work hard and we work long and we stress and we struggle. And you can get there. I did it. Like you can really get there. But what I learned on the beach in Costa Rica is never, ever be afraid of hard work, but never assume that it's required. Like that's what I teach my kids. Like never assume wow. that it's required. Like we are so hardwired that the early bird gets the I built a seven-figure business in under two years working 20 hours a week from the beach in Costa Rica. What's your goal right now? I want to build a $25 million company in 25 hours a week wow. because I didn't have a goal. And I was like, oh, I did this cool thing. I retired. I wanted to build this business. I built it. It's awesome. The results are there. Like we're having so much fun. We're right. Strategy to scale it, like all great stuff. And then one day I was like, and it was funny because there was a firm that, uh, that tried to acquire us when we were much smaller and younger. And it turns out that we were just way too small and they had no idea. Like we had done such a good job of delivering and had such a great brand and reputation that they thought we were a seven-figure business long before we were a seven-figure business. And so the funny thing about that experience was as soon as he told me that in my head instantly, I was like, oh, yes, of course. Of course we look like and act like and deliver like a seven-figure business. And that, by the way, was the turning point to, right, accelerating the path, right, the thinking around that. And so to me, coaching – is really about helping people identify what is standing in the gap between them and the next level of success, happiness, wealth, or well-being, and then identifying the stories and the strategies that they can use, set down, pick up, right? Like we all live too much what I call below the line in that stress state, and the job is to live what I call above the line in that, in that success state where you are doing things and thinking thoughts that are positive, empowered, you can do, and everything is figureoutable. We've all been in that state. We kick butt in that state. You opened a barbecue restaurant in that state. You opened a firm in that state. And then we all have that survival state. The fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, the overwhelm, the, oh, can I do it? I'd love to, but, you know, what's going to happen if, what if this, what if that? And if you're not really careful along the way, the what ifs get louder than the why because of the spinning and the busyness and the activity and the doing. And that's when entrepreneurs and leaders get burnt out. It's where they lose the passion. And I really unretired because I, as Andrew knows, get really excited about talking to people about how to find that balance between personal success and professional success, because that's what we all want. And I realized that I was settling and that far too often other people do too. And then when I figured out you don't have to, well, it seemed like a fun thing to do with my free time. So here I am. <laughs> here I am. So Tim Ferriss question. 
wrapping it up, yep. if you had a billboard with one message on it, yep. what would be your message? Oh, this is so easy. Life is now in session. Hmm. Okay. That's not where I was expecting you to go. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Because I believe that this life, whatever you think about what happens on either side of it, and there's, you can have a lot of conversation about that. I think we can all agree that it is a short ride between two bookends of eternity, whatever is on the other side of that eternity. I don't know if there's more rides on the other side, if there are cool, <laughs> but I'm going to assume for now that I should really squeeze the hell out of this one. And so to your point, like I would actually, you would expect me to say, right, there are no limits you have except the ones you place on yourself, which is my other favorite quote. But at the end of the day, that's just a way to living life as fully as humanly possible, right? Like I'm a lifeaholic. That's like, I just realized like at the end of the day, I know what it's like to not feel good, to not have a great life, to feel diminished, to feel like I know all those feelings. Yeah, I don't like them very much. And so at the end of the day, to your point, we all ultimately make a choice. We create the reality that we expect for ourselves and we have the opportunity to expect more. And when we expect more, we experience more. And that's kind of my jam. Jeez. Did you get all those, Cam? <laughs> Your brain is a special place. <laughs> like, it's incredible. I mean. I'm not sure if I should take that as a compliment. <laughs> no, it, it's, it is a compliment. Like, it is funny, like, to hear how debate, just how it all started. Like, yeah. the story just all. Super dumb. It, seem, it seems like fate, right? But obviously it's not. You know, but. if you're interested, which you're probably not, so you can cut this out. I have thought about this once. You're like, how did I end up? Here's what I figured out about me. I I just see I see things. I know that sounds funny, right? There's a movie about that. Like, I just see the potential in I things. See dead I people see things. <laughs> I see things. I walk into a restaurant and I see what it can be. I walk right. into, I hear Andrew talk about what he does and I see what it can be. He tells me about his process. I see what it can be. And so like at a business level, what I write, the, the, the manifestation of that is I've become really good at scaling special, right? I didn't really big companies. I've done it right. And, you know, t turning little companies into bigger companies. But I realized that the secret sauce of that is I, and this is probably the result of growing up and crazy. No question is that I, wherever something is, I see the possibility, like I am the chief, I, we call me in my office, the chief possibility officer. Like, that's just my job. Oh, wow. I just see possibility. Now, that's the thing you have to manage, by the way. Uh, carefully. Right. Carefully. Shiny that could be a whole other set of problems. <laughs> They're going to have a whole conversation about, truly, about focus, right? More right. isn't better. Better is better, um, as we talked about earlier. But yeah, I like I love possibilities. I love them in people. Like, I grew up in a house of crazy, and I just always wondered why why crazy wouldn't work a little less, a little harder to be less crazy, like truly. So as like truly when I became a parent and I started to see those behaviors, which were crit like I wouldn't, I'm would not say they were flattering. Like there was a time in my life that I can look back on the wife that I was and the mother that I was, and I don't feel good about it. I feel good about it in the sense that I give myself grace. I understand what I had to grow through, but I would not like, I'm really glad that I grew through it. Let's go with that. Right. I wouldn't right. look back on that and be like, go me proud mom moment. <laughs> um, but what I took from my childhood was that I could never understand why my parents, and I love them both to death, have made peace with all of that, but I could never understand why they settled 
I could never understand why my, and again, I'm like my mother had her issues, but right, my perception was that more was possible and they just weren't grabbing it. And so for whatever reason, my brain took away from that, drink from the cup with both hands. Right. And so, you know, business is this amazing thing, but if you're not careful, it can steal your ability to drink with both hands. And I, like, my life's work was figuring out how to reconcile those two things. Because, you know, I like to believe that you really can have it all. You can't have it all at once, and it's not always easy. But I think you can create a really incredible experience for yourself if you're committed to doing the work. It's just not usually the work that we think it is. Mm. Bam. Bam is right. Drop the mic. Wow. I can't drop the mic. It's attached to the thing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming down. Oh my god, this is so fun. We could go I feel on. Like I'm gonna have, like I'm just, I am gonna be in my head the rest of the day. There's so much that I have to think about. <laughs> but you know, it's like the, I, we need to come up with a saying for it. It's like the Matrix. You remember the red pill and the blue right, pill? Like right. you've just swallowed the blue pill. Totally right. Your life will never be the same. <laughs> I have this I will weird be in your head. It's so true. Stephy said, "I was like, like little shots of Stephanie." <laughs> I gotta find this way to be. What sucks for me is I know what will make life better and make me happier, but I still have a really hard time, like, starting. Right. You know what I mean? It's like cool. barbecue wasn't hard. Like it is funny. Like the I think the thing that's really like popped up, or maybe I got more clarity on, or maybe I'm asking myself this question: Is when I open the restaurant. I literally had zero doubt. And, and I had so many people just like, wait, why are you doing it there? I'm like, oh, well, it was cheap. And why you're going to open a restaurant, it's 80% failure. I'm like, oh, I'm good at it. Like, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And it is funny because talking to you, I realized that I'm not like that in anything else. Right? Yeah. And so it, it really is all just mind over matter. And it's like, how do I, I, I guess that's it. I got to replicate. How, how come I was so confident and starting this restaurant and why can't I duplicate that outside of it and so yeah I don't know I think just knowing that is probably the best place to start right well you can have a great we can have a great conversation about that yeah we could I know someone who can help you with this do you have any restaurant clients (laughs) restaurant owner clients no but I I love barbecue so okay well we might have to talk this would be awesome yeah I'll come to Costa Rica. We'll start Just think there. Of it, think of it this way. Like if you, like anyone can do this at any time, it's that reframing, which was you think about the next level of success. Take out, a, so I have this exercise, I call it mind the line. It's the simplest, it's like literally it takes everything I ever learned and turns it into like one exercise. Take out a piece of paper. You draw a line across the paper left to right. Above the line, you draw a plus. Below the line, you draw a minus. The minus is because everything below that line will be negative, disempowering, right? Distance you from your goals, doesn't serve you, right? Negative, uncertainty, doubt, bad juju. Danger, Will Robinson. Everything above the line, totally the opposite. Abundance, joy, creativity, optimism, right? Certainty, confidence, right? The biggest client ever, the best barbecue, whatever. All the good stuff lives above the line. If you want to know what's breaking down somewhere, you simply take out a piece of paper. If you are uh, most entrepreneurs, people I know struggle with their time. Your time is your greatest revenue producing asset. You want to leverage your time. You take out your piece of paper. You track your time for a week. Everything that you do that's energy creating or revenue producing goes above the line. Oh, I would hate to see that one. It's yep. like counting calories, you know? Yep, same thing. I don't want to yep. see what I eat on paper. <laughs> Truly, you can do the same thing with food, right? Everything right. you eat that's healthy and wholesome and serves your goal, whatever that is. Right. If your goal is to be, you know, one thing, that's great. If your goal is to be healthy, another. 
Everything that doesn't serve the goal goes below the line, right? Everything as a business owner you do that's not energy creating, revenue producing, $1,000 plus an hour work goes below the line, right? And then when we want to create leverage, we know exactly where to go in a relationship, right? What's below above the line for a week? What's below the line for a week? Right. So Such a simple exercise, but... Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. Well, and that's that that's so powerful. That's actually seeing it cuz it's like in my head I already know that I I don't make good use of my time. Right. But I'm sure writing that all down would make a big that visual would probably really help me compute. Here's what I know. At a, we talked a lot about mindset, right? but there's strategies. Sure. You have to be in the right mindset to leverage those strategies. 4 ounces of steel can lift a 1000 pounds. Now, not just any globby four ounces she of steel. Is good. <laughs> I mean, really, it's crazy. That's why I'm so good. Cam. Like, I was shocked when you're like, "No, I have nothing on her." I'm like, "Whatever." It is every episode, like three times, perfect quote for whatever conversation we're having. But I mean, wow, four ounces of steel can lift a thousand pounds. It, that it's is true. My it really favorite quote you've said. Today. It really can. Now that said, not any old glob of steel. Sure, sure. He can't just lazily pick up a glob of steel, throw it against the wall. It's not going to work. Right. You've got to hone your craft, and that's what most business owners get too busy spinning and get lost in the background to do. Which is, you have those jobs. You have to deliver massive value. That's your client experience. That's your value proposition. That's your delivery system. You got to run an excellent business. Your systems, your operations, your people, your process, your platform, your packaging. You got to enjoy the rewards, which you've got to have the leverage, right? So that you can actually have a successful, sustainable business that you can leave for, I like to say, 100 days. If you cannot leave your business for 100 days, then you have a really awesome job. Nothing wrong with a really awesome job. I could leave this for 100 days. There you go. See, and I should be proud of that, right? You should celebrate that. Huh. Now the question is, are you leaving it for 100 days? No. Okay. Why not? Because my wife won't let me. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I'd want to go on a trip. No, but yeah, I I could. But yeah. But I do like it. So yeah, yeah I don't. So there's, a, right. And again, there's no have to. Sure. So I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. I got distracted. What are we talking about? Just the exercises and. Oh, the, the, yeah. the minor line exercise. Right. Yeah. So if, think about your next level of success. If you're watching or listening, right? Take your page. Think about the next level of success. What's your three-year goals? See, and that's probably my first step right, right there is doing goals. Oh, wait, no, it gets better. Are you ready? That. Yeah. This is the uncomfortable part. I do this to people. It really annoys them. <laughs> Double it. Wow. That's the hardest part right there. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that more is the answer here. Right. It's an exercise in my job is to ultimately, you're, we talked about this, right? To blow your freaking Your brain mind. is your largest asset and we pay the least attention to it. Sure. Right. So if this is your largest muscle and this is your money making value adding muscle, by the way, I would think that the ROI is right here. Right. So let's focus on that. And so if you know that the next level of success and then doubling it, all that exercise does, by the way, is help me find your discomfort. I call your discomfort zone. There's a point at which you believe success is possible. And there's a point at which your brain goes, uh-uh, totally not available to you. Right. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't have 10 barbecue restaurants and have a life. My story says no way. That's the point I want to find because I don't care if you do more. I care deeply about why you do what you do and then it's fulfilling. And you cannot do that if you don't. I thought making more money would make me happier. Turns out it doesn't. They're actually right about that. <laughs> it's true. My greatest joy comes from when clients, like literally people say things to me that just make me think I have the best job ever. 
Like, I can't even believe that I get paid for this. I mean, do, because I add a lot of value. I have no issue with that. But, like, right, I'm like, wait a minute, I have no issue. But my point is, like, it's just unbelievable to me that I get to talk to people about stuff I think is really cool that has a massive impact. And then I get to work with business leaders to really magnify that impact over, um, like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like, doesn't get better than that so the hard, in my world. So the hardest question is that she asks every time, what would it take to double your revenue in half the time? And it's not that you need to or want to, it's go through that exercise. Right. Because there's an answer. Oh, it'll push you. Everyone can answer that. How can I double my revenue in half the time? It's fun. And then what you do is you take that exercise. Everything, you start paying attention to the voices in your head and everything above the line, you write above the line. Like, oh, I could totally have 10 restaurants, blah, blah, blah. But you're also going to notice there's a lot of stuff below the line. Right. And one of the very, one of the most common success stories, one, money, right, making more money makes me bad or somehow diminishes me or makes me a bad parent. The other is, is success is complicated and will steal all my free time. And it's, it's not hard to imagine why we see, why we sure. believe that because that's the story we see because we have this conditioned way of operating. We have this very habitual way of being. We have this very conditioned way of running our businesses. But here's the thing. Have you ever peeled a banana? Yes. All right. And how do you peel a banana? From the bottom, the opposite side of the oh, okay. stem. Yeah, because you've heard the story. That's no, like you know what? I read that once in a magazine. Not It wasn't even like a, it was just like, this is how monkeys do it. Exactly. And so, I was like, this is so much better. So this is so much cooler. So that. I go down to Costa Rica, right? And here right. I am and the monkeys are peeling the, and I'm like, so we, most of us <laughs> peel our banana, right? You grab your banana and you, you right. yank and it, you get like a mushy banana top, right? right? Or you use your fingernail and a knife. It's not ripe and you've got to peel back all the leaves and those pesky little strings. There's like, ah. Crazy. In Costa Rica, right? They actually turn the banana upside down, take their thumb and forefinger, right? Pinch, twist, and the leaves come off and the strings attach. And it's this, and I thought, oh my God. And this is, my approach to, this is my approach to business. I'm very results oriented. I'm like, if it doesn't work, I'm just not going to do it. And I'll just right. keep doing things until they do. How can we be the smartest, most educated, most financially well-off, most technical, most educated country in the world and not know how to peel a banana the right way? <laughs> right. How is that freaking possible? <laughs> and it's because we are creatures of habit. We are literally, we, we model what we see. We model what we see on TV. We model... Our version of success is the same, right? You go to college, you have 2.2 kids, you either get a job or you run, like that story is pretty much laid out and we're never taught to challenge the story. We're never taught, we're taught to focus on all of the externals, our business, our strategy, right? Our people, our processes, and that stuff's important, but it's about 20% important. And there's only so much like you can, you can really hone a system and then the system is honed. Like, if you get that part right, it's not particularly complicated. You just have to have the mindset to go in and say, I'm going to build a hyper-efficient business. Right. Right? I need to deliver an extraordinary experience in the most efficient and highly leveraged way possible. And I'm going to challenge all of my knowns, what I call a condition set, so that I basically deconstruct everything and I keep the ingredients. Right? I've got these great people. I've got this great product. I've got this great space. Right? I've got this reputation. And then you completely reimagine, like whiteboard, what it would be like in that next level vision. And then your brain will do this incredible thing, which is it'll put up all this stuff about the whys and the right. what ifs, and and that's the work. The work is to go, okay, can I can I separate myself enough? Can I get clarity about what I want to do? What the gap is between that? And then can I really do the work 
of looking at my mindset, of looking at my mapping. Like, am I really clear? Do I have the right people in place? My methods, right? If I'm eating chocolate Twinkies every day, I'm probably not going to lose weight. Like, <laughs> it's just like that, right? That's the thing. But we do these things that we know don't serve us. And yet we keep doing them. And then we complain about them, which is really interesting. So then we put ourselves in the victim mode. Like, it's not my fault that this is happening to me. And so I was like, I'm not a victim. Of course, I'm not a victim. Like, I'm so independent. I've done all these great things. And then it turns out, guess what? I was totally a victim. <laughs> like, oh, damn it. I'm a victim. I don't want to be a victim. Like, truly, I was like, oh, right? This is happening to me. And I realized, no, it wasn't happening to me, right? This is great quotes. Not my quote, so I will not take credit. <laughs> But it was like, I remind myself of when I have that, just that feeling of gripping doubt and I don't, I'm not going to get it right, but it was like the two people are standing around and someone says, are you afraid of the storm? And right. And he leans in and he says, no, I am the storm. Wow. And there are these moments where I'm like, oh, see, like, like there's like, we, how often do we show up like that? Like to me, that success state, if you own your mind, you can own your state. Sure. And when you own your state, like that's your momentum. If you can get yourself to that place where you can take that next best step, whatever it is. I just wrote an article on the importance of taking imperfect action. We're so hardwired not to do it. I can't raise my fee. I can't have that conversation with the client. I can't try that new recipe, like whatever it is, because that failure means something to us. And yet here's what I know. Tried all the other ways. I really did. But you know what I figured out? It is the very act of taking imperfect action that allows you to learn, refine, and hone your craft through the only art I know to work 100% of the time. Practice. Right. Practice is the only, like, I don't know. Give me the example of the person that got there perfect. I can look back on my first website and be like, oh my God, I cannot even <laughs> believe that people gave me money. Right. And yet, right, millions of dollars in the span of a year with a cheeky Rainmaker website. I finally just, right, but I knew, I was like, of all the priorities I have, and that's hard, by the way, when you are the chief possibility officer and you do brands as one of your favorite things and you're really good at it and your brand is, you know. <laughs> but when I think about like, okay, deliver massive value is like, so we literally over three years had to systematically go through the, right, and go through that process. And that is the hardest thing to do as a founder or a leader and entrepreneur is be selective in what you focus on and try not to fix everything while also taking imperfect action. Like that balance between perfect and imperfect right. is hard and, and it can keep you up at night if you're not really careful. Wow. I, think we're I need to, to get her number. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much. Oh my so God, much. so much fun. Wow. Yeah. You have a gift. That is for sure. Thanks. All right. I, I don't know what to say anymore. Okay. I, my brain is just going like, my brain's just going like this right now. So pick a topic. I need Any to go topic. to a dark, yeah. quiet room and just with a piece of paper. And Process. Just, no, yep. you just need a paper in your line. That's well, right. I'm going to do the line thing. That's a, I think it's yeah, cool. You know what my favorite, for anyone that's a parent, this is my, this is one more little add on. My favorite use of the line. Home. Particularly hard right now for a lot of people working in their home offices. Right. But when you think about, I just read an article about the value of commutes because commutes, while they can suck, actually give you a buffer between your personal life and your sure. professional life. And your mind is in a certain zone professionally, and that's a different state and zone than at home. The line's a really great example when you sit in your car in your driveway. You can just ask yourself, am I above the line, right? Have I set down all the stuff from work and the stories and the worries and the what ifs? And am I going into my house above the line, focused, right? Clear, present for my family, clear on my priorities. And if you're not, you just 
sit there and get there and you get there. I literally had to tell myself, I'll come in. If I sit in the driveway for 15 minutes, just know that I, I'll be the person you want when I enter the door in 15 minutes. And every time, man, we walk into a house, the kids are right on you and you don't have that buffer and you haven't created a conscious intent about setting one zone down and picking up the next and creating that presence for what you want to do with that time. And you get on that spinning wheel and then you're not present. And when you're at home, you feel guilty for not, you know, your brain's at work. Right. And when you're at work, you're right, feeling like you should be at home. And the problem for a lot of founders, leaders, and entrepreneurs is that your free time never feels quite free. And so the line is a really simple way to like what's below the line. I've had clients like sit in your car and type it out. Like what's below the line that you need to set down when your brain writes it down. There's a, a great neuroscientist called Mark Waldman. He teaches uh, the executive MBA, class, a executive MBA class at Loyola Marymount, and he has a thing called a crap board. And crap actually stands. I'm not make, like I'm not being crass. It actually stands for something right. which I can't remember, but it's essentially crap, right? And you before you go to bed at night or before you walk into your house, you write down all the crap on your mind, all of it, everything you can find. Like my mother never like whatever's on your mind, right? That that bill that I can't find, because but you don't throw it away. If you throw it away, your brain freaks out. If you keep it, your brain's like, okay, we can, like, we've got this. And then it puts you in a better zone to then go into what you need to do. And so if you can, if you can think your way through the line, then that's great. And if you find yourself spinning in the car, like, oh my God, I'm going to be here an hour and a half, then just write it down. (laughs) Because your brain is basically saying to you, I can't wind down. I can't get us out of high threat survival mode because whatever's spinning around in the back of your mind poses a threat. So until you resolve that, it's going to keep spinning because I don't feel safe. So writing it down to Andrew's point, like it gives you that, okay, all right, what's really here? Okay, I'll deal with this in the morning and you can get yourself above the line, which is my goal right now. My intent is to walk into my house. That's really interesting. And be present for my family because right. at the end of the day, that's kind of the stuff that, you know, You're the most- shopping imp- it. Well, look, here's, this is my belief. It's not everyone's, but I believe the most important things in life aren't things. I believe that they are the people and experiences that we have. Right. And so I I was not as present as I would like to have been for a lot of it. I work really hard because it's a con- like it's a thing we have to constantly battle. The line is like a thing I do all the time. I'm right. like, oh, I'm below the line, right? Like my kids will walk around the house like, mom, you're below the line. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Every phone it's, call starts with that question. Yeah. Above the line yep. or below the, the line? Above the line or below the line. State, it's like the simplest state like, and status. There's a lot of research that shows, right? We need these feedback loops to change our behavior because they're so conditioned. We don't, right? We don't right. realize it. So think about it. You all have, you have the, 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 the thing on your car that tells you how fast you're going. <laughs> what's that? Speedometer. Speedometer. <laughs> you're like, what's that thing? He's just going like, like back and forth thing. with their feet. The the we all know what the speed limit is. We have a speedometer right there. clock. Yeah. <laughs> we have a speedometer right there. Right. And yet we speed. Because we don't see the speedometer. We're so conditioned to it. And right. yet, you know those boxes on the side of the road that tell you your speed? That you slow down every time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's an external research loop. So the research, the brain research behind that actually shows that when you have an external research, uh, external feedback loop, you will get a 30% better result consistently every single time. What a great analogy. So we have this little form trap thing. Yeah. So your job literally is to create that awareness and give yourself that the minor line exercise is just an external feedback loop. It takes the stories in your head. Right. 
gives you a very simple mechanism for putting them on paper so that your conscious brain gets a seat at the table. That's your job always is your subconscious brain. Those stories are running the show. Most of the time they're in the driver's seat. You're staring out the window going, oh, what a nice ride. I think I'm in charge. Oh, but look, I ended up in Jersey. I don't want to be in Jersey. Right. And so our job is literally to say, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. I'm taking the map back. You, you're allowed to be in the car. I need you. You're going to keep me alive. You, you have a purpose. I'm going to put you in the back seat. What do you say? You sit in the back seat. When something really big jumps out, you let me know. But other than that, it's me and the nav. And I'm going to put in my coordinates. And so Andrew will tell you that we go through this very simple but very clear exercise of what are your goals? And then how do you retrain your brain so that all that subconscious processing, which has been working largely against you, you flip the switch and now you've retrained your brain to be on your side of the fence. So instead of shrinking you, it's like, yeah, of course you're awesome. Go do that work. Of course you can do twice, you know, or I don't know what it's going to take, but I know that I'm the guy that can figure it out and I'll figure it out. Wow. Makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> we should probably like, like we keep stopping, but I keep not talking, <laughs> not stop talking. So I'm going to stop now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you guys for having me. It's so much fun. So if you're depending on how long you stay in Utah or maybe we'll just go to Costa Rica to do an episode when Costa Rica opens back up. I think that would be, we just invited. Yes, so please. the most random story ever, when we went there a couple of years ago, we rented a house. Right. I had no idea where she lived. I was her neighbor. I rented the house next door to her when I went to Costa Rica. I had and no idea. And you had already been working with her? Yeah. I had no what? idea where she lived. She's like, stalker. I got to get rid of this client. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Yeah. So good to see like, you what again. The... So <laughs> random. Wow. So I know where to go in Costa Rica. All right. We're in. <laughs> I know where to go in Costa Rica. Yeah. I'm so down with that. All yeah. Right. We need to do. Yeah. We should do. I keep wanting to do a retreat. I want to do. I really want to do a women's retreat. And I'm really excited about that. I don't that's sexist. That's, yeah. I just realized that this is the wrong. As I stare at wrong the guys podcast in the room. episode. Talk right, about right. that. I, we can do a cool retreat. I want to do one with Carl on the Utah. We were talking about doing one on the Snake River, and, you, and that'd be awesome. That would be fun. I call them radical retreats, and so I'm going to do one. I'm going to call it a radical retreat. I'll cater. Doesn't that go. sound fun? I mean, wouldn't you love to just like this? I just start businesses that like sound cool to me. Like I right. want to hang out with other cool people who right want to build their bigger next level businesses and right like I want to have that four ounces of steel yeah. lifts a thousand pounds. Right? We can talk about systems all day long, but when we think about like when you're trying to next level your business, like we can really get radical about where there's a lot of leverage, right? In your strategy, in your systems, in your staffing. And like, imagine doing that all day, right? Really framing it, getting really gut-wrenchingly honest about it, going down the river or the hike or whatever it is, and then getting around the campfire that night and then having that conversation. Like, how do I sharpen my blade? Like, between now and when we get together the next time, like, like my glob of steel is going to be like, it's going to be better. Like, what's right. that next level look like? And to me, that sounds fun. So, I'm down. We'll do that. We're in. Let's do that. <laughs>